Uh, could someone close that door? Ed, would you mind closing that door? Thanks. Yes, thanks, Ed. I'm going to give you a little warning here. I'm going to make a very dated cultural reference to begin this sermon. Do you guys remember a band that once, along, uh, once upon a time was culturally relevant called Aerosmith? You guys heard of this band? They had a song called Living on the Edge. And Living on the Edge opened something like this. There's something wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. There's something wrong with our eyes. And then they went on to say there's something wrong. And God knows this world ain't his. And as Sarah was reading um, our reflection today, which is on the cover of your bulletin, you know, it's very intentionally written in such a way that I think a lot of us, that very opening, those very opening lines, and actually, Sarah, if I could see your bulletin real quick. Um, you know, it says, the world is lost to darkness. Many fear that the culture and society are falling apart. It seems like God is absent. He, is no longer, he no longer holds a place in the minds of people, and it appears that he is no longer acting in the world. Many are losing hope. I think for most of us, we either have felt that way, or we understand why people might feel that way today. Can you relate to that kind of sense of, you know, where, where is the hope today? Where are things going? And I've talked to a number of you, a number of my friends. I read things all, you know, from different Christian writers. And, and it's not everyone feeling this way, but there's a lot of people who feel like, you know, is there hope for the next generation? Is there hope for the future of our country? Is there hope for, and then you go down the list, is there hope for the church? Is there hope for our young uh, members and believers that are here with us today? What's their future going to be like? And I just want to kind of point out that that's exactly how people were feeling when Jesus was born. There's nothing new under the sun. All our circumstances change. Uh, every, every time is unique. And at the same time, uh, there's, there's really, there's nothing new going on today in the spiritual reality of the world from the perspective of God that has not happened before. And when Jesus came, it was a very dark moment for the people of God. He came into a world where, where obviously there was Roman oppression. You know, there was just this sense that, that there was no way to get out of, from under the, the political turmoil that the people of God were, were kind of put under. There was this cultural conflict where you had these different groups that all had different perspectives on what was the best way to move forward. What was the best way to, to get their country in a better space? What was the best way for religious renewal? What was the best way uh, to understand even the word of God itself? And I think we can relate to that as well, can't we? Conflict and, and, and uh, disagreement and sometimes even violent disagreement even here in our own country uh, over what is the right way forward. And of course, you also had a situation where uh, historically... The prophets had fallen silent. You know, you have the close of the Old Testament, and then God is quiet. God is quiet for a long time. And it seems that maybe he's abandoned his people. Now, I don't believe God's quiet today. And I think a lot of us are very clear that God has not abandoned us. Uh, but you can imagine the despair and hopelessness of that moment. And so if you're feeling any of that, and if you're not, praise the Lord. But if you're feeling any of that, 
that I want today for you to hear this message of comfort and joy, this message that's really a message of hope. That as we approach the Christmas season, that we're being invited back into the story of God renewing the world. And Sarah read to us from Luke, Mary's song. If you have your Bibles, that's in Luke chapter 1. We're going to go to a couple of different places today in the scripture um, just to look at the different ways that, that God shows up in this way. Um, Ed, I don't know what's going on, but my slides aren't progressing. I think if you could help me out there. But in Luke chapter 1, an angel, Gabriel, comes to Mary. And I'm going to paraphrase here. He says, hey, Mary, God thinks a lot of you. And he wants to do something special through you. And he's going to give you a son that's not like any other son that anyone has ever had before. He's going to be a special son. He's going to be God's son, born through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he's born, he's going to bring you the fulfillment of all the promises of God that he's made from ages past. And Mary, she, she hears this. She says, may it be to me as you have said. And then she goes on her way, and she ends up actually visiting her cousin Elizabeth. And when she sees Elizabeth... She also has a miraculous pregnancy of John the Baptist is in her womb, and he leaps for joy because he has come into the presence of the coming Messiah, the Christ of Jesus. And Mary begins to sing. She begins to glorify God. And Sarah read it to us, but let's read it again. Luke 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And just right in that little spot right there, Mary is probably a young teenager. Historically, in this time, this period, women would have gotten married at age 14, 15, 16. So she's betrothed to be married. She's engaged, but she's not married yet. So she could, she could be really young. And as I even look around this room, we've got some young people in that age range. And I just wonder, what would it be like if God came to you and said, by the way, you're about to get pregnant and you're about to start a family raising the Son of God? How crazy would that be? But, God, but Mary says to the Lord, you have been mindful of the humble state of your servant. She's, she's uh, alert already to how God has... Um, he's, he's seen her and, and he has... In, in her humility, he's not forgotten her. And sometimes I wonder if some of us walk through life wondering, has God forgotten me? Has God forgotten me because I'm not that important? I, I don't know that, that uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, does he care what happens in my life? Does he care about my family? Does he care about my job? Does he care about my difficult situation? And of course, Mary is a very particular and special person in the history of God's, God's story. But I think there's, an, again, the invitation is that we find ourselves again in the story of Jesus Christ. And so for us to find ourselves in that place of humility, but also the place of God remembering us, that God cares about you, that God didn't just go to Mary and tell her she was going to have a baby so that she could be remembered. God goes to Mary and tells her she's going to have a baby 
because all of us are remembered. And again, if you remember historically, even in this time, most of us who are, have no Jewish heritage, we had no hope of being reconciled to God in relationship. But God told Mary, you're going to have a baby because he remembered you and he remembered me too. God remembers those in a humble state. And she says from there, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Now, as I tell you today that I offer you a gift of comfort, be alert the kinds of people that receive comfort from the presence of Christ. Is it the haughty and the proud? Does Jesus bring comfort to them? No. It says the ones who, the, the rulers, will be brought down from their thrones. The rich will be sent away empty. But those who are, who are fearing the Lord, who are not proud in their thoughts, who are... are coming to the Lord hungry, coming to the Lord needy. Those are the ones he brings comfort to. Those are the ones he gathers together. Those are the ones he lifts up. Those are the ones he fills. And so even in Mary's song, this is, a, this is really a prophetic word about what God is going to do through Jesus Christ. And you see this theme going all throughout the life of Jesus. You know, there's the story where Jesus is having, he's telling a parable of a great supper. And he's invited all the important people in town, right? And you can imagine, uh, you can imagine, you know, maybe in Dedham, there's going to be this big uh, feast for the most important people in town. And I wonder, would any of us receive an invitation? Anyone? (laughs) If you raise your hand, we won't judge you. Maybe you would. But none of them show up. And Jesus says, well, then go out into the highways and the byways and invite everyone in. Invite everyone to this great feast I've prepared. If the people who are, who, the dignitaries and the people who are important and the people who are proud are too good to come to my feast, then let's just bring everyone in. And what happens is there's, there's, there's all sorts of people coming in from the fields, from the roads. There's beggars, there's lame, there's people who are sick and hurting. They all come into this magnificent feast. And then the doors are shut. And the proud people who have always been on the inside are now locked on the outside. And the people who've always been outside are now on the inside. In the presence of the Lord, enjoying the great feast. This is the comfort that Jesus offers. It's a leveling of the playing field. He brings down the haughty, but raises up the humble. And so the first thing to remember in these tidings of comfort and joy is that it's comfort for those who are humbled, who are needy, who are hungry, those who fear the Lord. And then in verse 54, Mary says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And it's just this reminder that I imagine there's a lot of us in this room who have, in our lives, we've grabbed a hold of some promises in this book. And maybe God has spoken to you about some promises in your life. And you do wonder, does God remember those promises? 
are they ever going to be fulfilled? I see some of you nodding your heads. It's hard to wait, right? Mary and the people of Israel were waiting for hundreds of years. I'm not saying you have to wait hundreds of years for your promise. But there is a patient waiting. There's a patient waiting that's implied in these tidings of comfort and joy. And even for Mary, she's saying God has remembered to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants. But it's not going to be another, what, 30 years before she begins to see even the partial fulfillment of those promises. When Jesus starts to actually begin his ministry, when he begins to release the captives, when he begins to heal the sick, when he begins to raise the dead. So she has to wait, but she trusts in the promise and she sees that this is a seed being planted that will grow into the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives. And I wonder if today you and I can receive a seed, a down payment, an assurance of the fulfillment of the promises of God in our lives. And that Advent is a time to remember that God is planting these seeds in your life and in mine. Again, our story is Mary's story. Our story is Israel's story. Our story is the story of Jesus in Advent. And then Mary finished that, uh, again, he, he remembered to be merciful and just as he promised, he fulfilled those promises that were made to their ancestors. Now again, as we come into this place and it's, you know, it's still thanks. I mean, it's still November, right? We just had Thanksgiving dinner and kind of like Christmas is on the horizon. This is this time in between where we've given thanks for God and we're looking towards this moment of the, of the advent, the coming, the presence of Christ, where we have this time of waiting. And, you know, sometimes you're in those seasons in your life. And it's actually kind of fitting that this happens in winter, isn't it? It's in winter where everything seems dormant. And everything seems quiet. There's no, there's no buds on the trees. There's no flowers popping up through the ground. And in fact, the further we get into the season, the more desolate it becomes, right? And sometimes it's in those seasons that, and I don't know how this, I'm not an agrarian, I don't know enough about agriculture, but again, God's planting seeds in the winter, knowing that they're going to bloom in their time. But it's a time of waiting. But this expectation of joy at Jesus' coming is pervasive in the scriptures. And I just pulled a few of them up here. Uh, we looked at Mary's song, but actually uh, just earlier than this in the story of John the Baptist. So just a few verses up in verse 39. It says, um, this is after Mary had found out that she was going to be pregnant. It says, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Zechariah is the husband of Elizabeth. Elizabeth is her cousin. It says, Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, and the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. There's always this joy surrounding this anticipation of the coming of Jesus. Why? Because the situation is so bleak, and yet Jesus brings the fulfillment of all the promises. Jesus is the one who remembers his people. Jesus is the one who raises up the ones who are low, who gathers together the ones who are humble, who fills the ones who are needy. And then in Matthew 2, we have the story of the Magi. And if you want to flip over there to Matthew 2 real quick. And we talked about the Magi earlier. We saw that pretty face of Esther up there. Kid, you know, the kids are going to look for these three kings and try to find out where they are to get their candy. But, but these kings were traveling to see Jesus because they saw signs. They saw signs in the heavens. And they come to Jerusalem because they think... They know that the king of the Jews is going to be born. They think, well, where would the king of the Jews be? Well, he'd be in Jerusalem, right? He'd be in the capital city. They don't know. So they go there, and they talk to, um, to the king Herod. So in verse 1 of chapter 2 in Matthew, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so this is, you know, he was born already, and they're still traveling to find him. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. By the way, why is King Herod disturbed and not comforted? Because he's proud. Because he thinks he's got it all together. Because he has power that he doesn't want to lose. That's not the kind of person Jesus comforts. Right? He's disturbed. And all the people with him, they're, they're like, uh-oh. If he's the king and a king is born, what does that mean for all of us? And when he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Of course, he's lying, right? Herod has no interest in this. He finds out when the baby was born so he can find him and kill him. And because he kills every child two and under, we think it may have taken the Magi well over a year travel and arrive here in, in Bethlehem. They were not there the night Jesus was born. So after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So Jesus is not the baby anymore. Now he's the child. He's grown up a little bit. He's a toddler. And this star that they were following begins to move. As I've heard so many stories of how, you know, oh, the star was probably a comet. It was probably an alignment of the planets. And they just didn't understand but guys, this star was there for two years and it didn't move 
until they got to Jerusalem, and then it moved to Bethlehem. Now, I don't know how that works, but that's not a comment. I'm just saying. This is either a miracle or it's hogwash. There's really no middle ground here, and I don't believe it's hogwash. But look, they were overjoyed because the star led them to the house, and they saw the child, and they bowed down and worshiped him because they knew something big was coming. And then, again, Sarah read an allusion to the angels that appear in the fields the night Jesus is born. And that's in Luke chapter 2. And they go to the shepherds, and they tell them, we bring, t- we bring good news of joy. Good news of joy. He says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Guys, this is the same message that's delivered to you today, that in the town of David, a Messiah has come. He is the Lord. He's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the one that we've been hoping for. And yes, I know for us it hits the ears differently because it was 2,000 years ago, and we've probably all heard the story, right? But let the story be new again in your heart. Let it be new again to your ears. Put yourself in the story You know, I imagine that, again, many of us experience right now being in a season where we feel like we're out in the the wilderness with some really stupid sheep. Can you relate to that at all? Like, why do I have to put up with these sheep? I'm out here. I'm all alone. I got to deal with this. It's cold. It's dark. I don't really want to be here. Why can't I be back where I want to be? Why can't I go back to where all my loved ones are? And in that place, Jesus, or an angel shows up, a messenger of the Lord, and he says, behold, I bring good news. Behold, I bring good news. A child has been born, and he's your savior. And I know for many of us in here, we have already received that message with joy. But receive it again today. Your savior has come. This is not just some, it is a historical event, but it's not just a historical event. And there is some, there is some, uh, it's hard to put this in words because we live, we live in a world where, where we don't really believe in things that are too mystical, right? I was just sharing the other day, um, uh, I'm reading this book about how in our world today, we've, we've lost all the enchantment of the world, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Eugene Peterson. I'm reading his memoir. And his family came from Norway and Sweden. And he's got a whole chapter about in his family they had this story about a troll. And the Norwegians love their trolls and the Swedes find the trolls to be pests. But, you know, we don't live in a world with trolls anymore, right? We don't live in a world with gnomes anymore. We barely live in a world with God anymore. So, we, so even, even for us, we often don't even think about the angels and the demons having direct impact on our lives. Right? When something goes wrong, uh, we often find the mechanical reason for it instead of the purposeful reason for it. But there's something mystical and magical as we relive the story of the anticipation of the coming of Christ. And there is something mystical and magical about Christmas Day when we celebrate the inauguration of Christ in the world. 
God himself in the flesh. And if we are not kind of feeling the joy of the Magi, the joy of Elizabeth, the joy of the shepherds, the joy of Mary, then I would suggest to you that you haven't allowed yourself back into that story yet. But God's inviting you back in for this moment. In the ancient church, they literally believed that Christmas Day 2022 is closer to the time that Jesus was born than any old Thursday in the year 400. These moments, they're being repeated. They're, they're glimpses back into the past. They're entryways back into the holy. These special moments in the history of God's people. So I want to invite you to allow yourself to, not this commercial thing, but allow yourself to believe again in the magic of Christmas. Believe in the magic of Advent in that way. That God is doing something spiritually in your heart and mind, in your lives and our lives together, that is different in this season because of what we're doing, waiting, anticipating, receiving the comfort, receiving the joy. And that's part of the anticipation. But it's not just in the anticipation of the... Ed, I don't know why. It's not just in the anticipation that Jesus talks about joy or experiences joy or models joy. It's in his ministry too. And we sang the song, uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And I just want to turn your attention to Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus' ultimate sermon is preached. And what is that sermon? What does it begin with? These things called the Beatitudes. So in the life of Jesus and his preaching and his teaching, he still handing out and offering this invitation of comfort and joy for the people of the world. Because again, he didn't come to a time when everything was fantastic and good. He didn't come to a time when everyone was relaxed and chill. Right? These were difficult times, just like we experience today. And it says in uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you see the parallel between Jesus' sermon here and Mary's song? Jesus is saying, those who are low are going to be raised up. Those who are in pain are going to receive the comfort of God. Those who fear the Lord are going to see God. And theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says throughout his ministry, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the sinner. Guys, are any of you sinners? Are any of you sick? Are any of you in need? Good news. Jesus came for you. And if you are not any of those things, then wake up. Because you are. We all are. And it's the recognition of our need that, in a sense, invites this comforting presence of Jesus. 
And so I know there's a, there's a way of being in the world where we kind of try to, you know, in a healthy way, rise above our circumstances. And that's good. Absolutely. But not to the point of denying them. Jesus never asks us to deny our reality. He just asks us to have faith to go beyond our reality. And it's in the recognition of our need, the recognition of our spiritual poverty, the recognition of our, of our sinfulness, that Jesus then actually calls us into this life of righteousness and prosperity and a life of, of comfort and, and healing from the things that ails us, the things that ail us. And so again, in Advent, I'm inviting you to step into this time of waiting with an expectation that God is at work to do these things. That God has not forgotten you just like he hasn't forgotten Mary. That that the fulfillment of the promises is coming. And that this Sermon on the Mount is the same message of Mary anticipating the birth of Jesus. And it's also a bit of a warning that if you need to humble yourself, That if you come proud and haughty, there's no comfort for that. But here's a comfort. God can help you find your humility. God can help you find uh, your fear of him, that healthy fear that says, you're the Lord and I'm not, and I can trust you. And then there is also one more, Ed. Oh, sorry, back. Uh, there is also this final interesting element of comfort and joy in Jesus' life. And it comes at the very end. And of course, we know where the story goes, right? And I talked about we're entering a time of winter and that that's a time of desolation. And the seeds are planted in the time of desolation. God plants the seed of Jesus Christ in the world. Uh, we celebrate it in the middle, at the end of December, right near the solstice. You know, the 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 darkest days of winter. But what's coming in the spring? Easter, right? The sign of new life, of rebirth. So Jesus has his own period of desolation on the cross, but is preparing for the joy that is to come in the, in the, in the, uh, in the life and resurrection of Jesus. And when Jesus is about to enter that period of desolation, when he's about to go into that space of of, um, of death and being put in the ground. Literally, the seed being buried that will usher in new life. He gathers his disciples together in a room to celebrate the Passover. And he begins to speak to them. And I'm going to skip a lot of verses here, but in John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, 18... He says a lot of important things. And so you don't have to turn there because you'll probably, you might get lost because I'm going to jump around a bit. But listen to the things that he says and look for comfort and look for joy. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, to be with me, that you may also be where I am. And Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or comforter or helper to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Therefore, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. But the Advocate, the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I just have to stop. You see that thing again, right? That comfort for some but not for all. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. But while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. 
Unless I go away, the advocate, the helper, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can, no, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him a question. And so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in, your, in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. After this, Jesus looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. All that I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you tech, protect them from the evil one. They are not of the, world, of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Now, I know we don't usually read long passages of Scripture like this, but do you hear the comfort? Do you hear the hope? Do you hear the joy? Do you hear the power? Do you hear the promises that Jesus is speaking over you and me? And the next verse, the next chapter, just in case anyone is concerned about this, Jesus is praying for his 12 disciples, right? Well, now his 11, because Judas is gone. But he says, not only for them am I praying, but I'm also praying for those who will believe because of them. So Jesus extends this prayer to every one of you who have put your trust in Jesus Christ. This is a promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ with you, who will bring you comfort and who will lead you into joy. There's promises of answered prayer so that your joy may be complete. There's promises that the joy of Christ would be in you, that his joy would be in you. There's promises that God will protect you, that this world will be hard, but Jesus has overcome the world. This is the, this is the hope of Advent. You know, if Jesus were born in a manger and shepherds came and magi came, that would be interesting, right? But we wouldn't be talking about that 2,000 years later if Jesus hadn't gone to the cross died for our sins, been raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and then sent his spirit to live within each and every one of us. If it weren't for that, we would not be talking about this story. But because of that, now this story means everything. You see? It's the birth of Jesus. It's the life of Jesus. It's the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. It's the return of Jesus that we're looking at when we look at Advent. And there are a lot of things to see in those stories, right? But I want you to hit on this element today, that there is the gift of Christ to you, that there is comfort for the afflicted, and there's joy for his people. And that's right up there at the top of the list. Uh, you guys may know this quote. There was an old um, humorist. His name was, oh, I have it here, because I didn't want to forget his name. Peter, uh, Finley Peter Dunn. Peter Finley Dunn. Uh, Peter, blah. Finley Peter Dunn was a humorist and a journalist, and he would write these little characters, that, that like little comics. And there was a phrase in one of those comics where this, this guy who didn't like journalists was just complaining about journalists and all the things that they do and just the way they kind of mess up the world. But he said that in there that they, uh, they comfort the afflicted 
and they afflict the comfortable. And he was saying that as a complaint. But there's something about this message of Jesus where we see over and over that he really does afflict the comfortable, but he comforts the afflicted. And so there, there is a message in Advent of comfort and joy, but it also has that little twist of, unless you need to be afflicted a little bit, unless you need to be brought down a bit, if you find yourself up on a pedestal, let this message of Advent knock that thing right out from under you. But if you find yourself knocked down and on the ground, my goodness, here in the message, that the, the hand reaching down to lift you up, that no matter what you face today, God has not forgotten you. His promises are not failing. The seeds have been planted, and though we're in a season of desolation, the spring is coming. And that even when things look their darkest, when it looks like there's no hope for the future, when the God you put your trust in is dead on a cross, just know that that's not the end of the story. And even that God who died on the cross was raised again. And because I have life, he says, you will live. Because I go away, you will have the Holy Spirit. Because I go to the Father, you can pray in my name and he will give you what you ask for. These are the promises of Advent. Allow yourself to enter the story. Amen? So church, I want to let you have a moment to just ask the Lord, God, where do you want me to see myself in this story? What aspect of what I heard today, what aspect of that is for me? Is it a call to humility and repentance? Is it a call for hope and expectation? Is it, Lord, to simply receive comfort like, like, um, like the disciples did on that night? Is it to have joy and expectation and excitement like Mary and Elizabeth and, and little uh, prenatal John the Baptist leaping for joy in his mother's womb? Like, what is it, Lord? And just let him speak to you about where you are in this story.